unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. It's a new year and a new round of World Cup qualifiers. Two nations on the plane to Qatar already. It's a nervy race to the finish for a number of other sides. So we take a look ahead to the critical upcoming matches. It's less than two months since Palmeiras lifted the Copa Libertadores, but the 2022 edition starts up in only a couple of weeks. So we check the runners and riders there as well as in the Copa Sudamericana. And of course, it's January. That means transfer business. So we discuss some of the big moves on the continent. Plenty to get through in hopefully under an hour. And I'm joined once again by Simon Edwards somewhere in Colombia, I imagine. You never know with you, Simon. You could be somewhere scouting. <laughs> well, yeah, a bit of that. I'm in Monteria in Cordoba. So it's hot, but I've got aircon here. Hopefully we're all good. So yeah, delighted to be back. Looking forward to talking some South American football today. And more importantly than the AC, hopefully good internet as well for the, hope for the podcast. No worries on that, of course, for Tom Robinson, just showing off his newly acquired equipment for the podcast. Very professional and a pleasure to have you again, Tom. Always good to be back and uh, discuss South American football with you guys again. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, let's uh, New Year, time to start with good intentions and uh, and hopefully um, we can we can kick the year off to a exciting start with, with all those amazing qualifiers. It's, it's so tight there, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, it really is. I mean, we'll jump straight in there with those qualifiers. As I said before, Brazil and Argentina already with their tickets booked for the World Cup as the top two. But as you point out there, Tom, the, the picture below that is very much one of its wide open all the way down really to Paraguay, maybe still in with a, an outside shot all the way down in ninth out of the 10 sides in South America. Only Venezuela really discounted. Um, Ecuador, you feel are certainly one step away. They do have some tricky fixtures. And then Colombia, Peru, Chile, Uruguay, Bolivia, all separated by just a couple of points. So it's a huge week. We've got two fixtures coming up, starting on Thursday, the 27th of January, then two more games on the 28th, and then that second round a couple of days later. Um, Simon, I'll start with you. I mean, as we just pointed out there, it's very, very tight. Where are you looking next week? Um, as to the sort of key critical games and who might really emerge from that as the sides that could join Brazil and Argentina? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I'll, I'll go straight to Colombia because I have a personal interest, but also I think it is going to be a really key game there. Uh, Colombia in fourth up against Peru in fifth. Um, this is, I think, going to be really important for Colombia. After Peru, they have a tricky game against Argentina. And then they have what hopefully will be two winnable games, home against Bolivia, and then uh, obviously uh, away against Venezuela, which could be tricky. Uh, they may want to make a statement before they leave, as it doesn't look like they're going to qualify. But I think in terms of setting the tone, um, this game against Peru for Colombia at home is going to be very, very important. Uh, Pinnacle have Colombia as pretty strong favourites, one six four five to for Colombia, 5-9-5. For uh, Peru, so Colombia are considered the favourites. Obviously, the big issue with Colombia is a lack of goals. Uh, they had a friendly last week, 2-1 win against Honduras. A lot of changes to that side. Uh, one of the guys who emerged, and you know, we'll talk about transfers a little bit later, is Jasa Asperia, who's uh, signed for Watford. He was a really interesting one, and he's gone straight from the second team into the first team for Colombia. It'll be interesting to see if he gets any minutes. An 18-year-old who just grabbed that game this week, the friendly, 
and just kind of uh, ran things there in midfield. So one to watch. For me, Colombia is going to be an interesting one against Peru. Peru, obviously, both teams on 17 points. Colombia have really, really struggled for goals recently. So that's going to be the big challenge, I think, for Colombia in this game. Peru, again, quite a consistent side. We know what Peru can do. If you don't do the business, Peru can definitely punish. But I think at home in Barranquilla, with the heat up there, uh, I think Colombia will be will be confident. The game on Friday, it's going to be a big one. If they can find the net, <laughs> they've defended really well. I th- think if they can find the net, they'll be confident. But uh, this, for me, is absolutely vital. Colombia get the win against Peru. Everything looks good. Bolivia at home, hopefully that's three points. Venezuela away, hopefully the job can be finished off there. So with this game coming just before Argentina, Colombia, I think this will define their World Cup qualifying chances. They win this one. I think they're there, more or less. Things can go wrong. But if they don't, then it's panic stations again in Colombia. And Simon, you talked about the problem with the goals there. Who are you looking for from the squad that's been announced for Colombia? Who could be the person that resolves that issue, if you like, and could find the goals that gets them the wins they need this week or next week? Yeah, well, Duvan Zapata is not, not available for this game, not including the squad. So it's going to be interesting to see who uh, who can find the goals. Obviously, Falcao's there. I think what Colombia have is a lot of uh, attacking midfield quality. Obviously, Luis Diaz has been kind of the star man for Colombia, making things happen. He's been in incredible form um, coming in from the left-hand side. Uh, James Rodriguez was named back in the squad as well, although he's had some illnesses this week, I think COVID last week. So it'll be interesting to see... Um, that's going to be the question for Colombia. Uh, you know, it, it could be a set piece. It could be uh, something out of nothing. There's obviously the quality in the squad. That there's good there's good players. But who's going to be the goal scorer? Maybe Falcao goes straight in there. You know, Santos Borre has been in decent form in Germany. There's options. Alfredo Morelos is back in the squad. These are all good forwards. But we've seen in Colombia in the past that, that strikers who are in good form in Europe, don't always translate that to their national team performances. Carlos Baca was banging them in in Spain, but couldn't score for two years for Colombia. So that's the issue. There's a lot of pressure on a Colombian number nine. Obviously, Falcao may be the safe option, although he's not quite the player he was, but he is in great form in Real Vallecano in Spain. So there's definitely options for Colombia. I think a lot of the the, the chances and the goals and, and the, the danger is going to come from that second line. Uh, whoever goes for the number nine role, maybe Muriel goes in there. There's plenty of options, but that doesn't mean that the, the guy who gets the call is going to have the confidence or or deal with the pressure that comes with these massive games uh, and all the expectation around them. Yeah, Tom, I mean, Colombia, Uruguay and Chile have probably been the more recognised second tier nations, if you will, behind Brazil and Argentina in recent years at least. But this qualifying period, we've seen an Ecuador team really do very, very well. They're almost on the brink of being able to book their spot. They have what could be a tricky week when you look at, they obviously host Brazil on Thursday the 27th. Brazil have qualified, of course, but that doesn't necessarily make it any less easy for Ecuador. They were to lose that game. They then travelled to Peru the following week or on the Tuesday following um, with potentially Peru, of course, having closed that gap. Um, where, how do you assess Ecuador at this stage? Do you think that this week, next week, they could book their place with a win in one of those two games? Yeah, I mean, I think whether they do it this round or, or the next, they're, they're all but home and hosed, I think. Just maybe not so much from their own excellence. We've obviously seen an uptick in, in their form and they've got some amazing youngsters coming through. But I think as, as much as anything, it's a case of 
all their other rivals have been so below par. You know, Colombia, as we've said, not scoring any goals. Uruguay going through a real crisis um, at the moment. And Chile and, and Peru, Peru maybe not quite being at, at the level that they have been in the past. So the fact that Ecuador have been, you know, for large parts, very good and they've got these great players coming through is is a great thing. And, and I think even if they don't pick up you know, if they pick up one point here or, or something like that, especially in that game against Peru, that's almost enough to keep those below them at bay and, and just kind of get over the line as much through their own good play as, as the sort of teams taking points off each other below. So I, I really, from this point, you know, can't see um, Ecuador, you know, dropping those five points and, and sort of slipping further down the table, even if it's not a spectacular finish to qualifiers. I think, I think they're, they're all but there. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, as you said, Brazil already qualified at home in Ecuador. You'd give them an outside chance of maybe nicking something there. And, and then obviously the, the Peru game is huge and, and it's going to be such a interesting week for, for Peru because can they back, um, capitalize on those back-to-back wins they had last time? They've been in good form in the, in the friendlies late, uh, lately. We're still, I think, at the time of recording, they've not quite announced their squad yet. So it's going to be interesting to see who they go for because we've seen players like Calera and Iberico do well in the recent friendlies. Um, whether they're going to get a chance up front, that'll be interesting. And I think these are the types of games that Peru and, and Chile have to win if they're if they're going to make it to a World Cup because yes they've had a good couple of results against maybe slightly weaker nations but if you can't be beating your direct rivals then then maybe they're they'll sh- they'll be shown to be slightly in a not not in a false position right now but I think this will be the real making of them and you get some key key results here and and you you've deser- you're deserving of going through so re- really interested to see how both peru and chile sort of yeah back back their previous results up and and if they can take some scalps here so i think they're two of the big stories for sure yeah before we come on to chile i just wanted to ask you about uruguay because it's really the start of a very much new era um for the nation having departed with Tabales after a really, really poor run of form that you mentioned. Um, they go into four games left in this period, really with that run of form, leaving them on the outside. And as you just said there, Tom, if, if you look at Ecuador as basically having done enough already, then we only have one more automatic qualifying spot left in fourth with Colombia, Peru, Chile, Uruguay and Bolivia, all separated by just two points. Um, then, of course, the fifth place would go into that playoff. But just going to Uruguay specifically, they're a point behind Colombia currently in fourth. They play Paraguay away on Thursday the 27th, and then they host Venezuela. Two games that they have to be looking at, really, to be picking up, if not maximum points, then definitely four points. Um, do you think that the change of manager at this stage will be enough for them to do that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I almost think that perhaps even under Tavares, with these fixtures, they'd, they'd be favourites still, even in their poor run of form, to pick up a decent amount of points. They've got the players. Um, they've clearly got good strength and depth. They've got young players coming through. Okay, they're not at their best, but I think almost the fixture list is going to be as 
kind and as a as decisive a factor because yes they're on a horrible run with some really heavy defeats to Brazil Argentina Bolivia but before that they were actually on a, a fairly decent unbeaten run of I think about six games so yes um you know when you look at this game it's it's really hard to call against Paraguay the the um, pinnacle have it at 2.45 to to beat Paraguay three 0.00 for a draw and a 3.36 for Paraguay to win. So that really shows how split this game could go. But I, I do fancy them. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if Alonso can make them a bit more proactive because I think the, the big criticism is always under Tavares recently has been they're quite passive. Um, they're not challenging quite as much. I think they, they lose possession a hell of a lot. They not making as many fouls as you'd, you'd imagine that they'd usually like to make that game in against Argentina was a case in point. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see if this roll of the dice has the you know the new manager bounce that they're hoping for, and and I'm sure a big part of it was instead of installing the new manager before games against Argentina and Bolivia, they're waiting for this kind of run of fixtures, um, and that's going to be. A fascinating story. I, I think they might do just enough to get that last qualifying spot, maybe not the direct one, but I think if they, as you rightly said, if they get a couple of wins here or four points here, if some of the other nations drop points or, or have a bit of a mare, then then suddenly Uruguay aren't looking quite as ropey as, as they were, but it's it could go either way. And, and I think it's all staring down to that uh, crunch match against Chile in the, in the last game, which could be could be absolutely huge. Um, so yeah, that is again one of the big big storylines going into this week. Yeah, and it brings us nicely on to Chile. Um, Simon, I wanted to ask you because we've spoken a lot over the last few episodes as we've gone through this qualifying period about Chile and the struggles, their reliance still on a lot of those older players that obviously gave them those historic nights in the Copa America World Cup qualifiers of yesteryear. Um, do you still think they have just enough to complete the job this time around and book their place at the World Cup? I think it's going to be tricky. Obviously, since we last spoke, I mean, the, the, the away win against Paraguay was huge in November to, to kind of get them back in contention. They've got Argentina at home, which I think will be very, very important for them. And then they've got a tricky away trip to Bolivia, who we haven't mentioned yet, but are very competitive. You know, Bolivia will still have dreams of the World Cup, um, which is which is great, which is interesting. And obviously, with the altitude of, of La Paz, combined with a pretty decent Bolivia side, um, it's going to be a real challenge these these next two games for Chile. Um, you know, we've seen Argentina looking very very good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what you guys think in terms of Argentina's approach. Are they going to maybe try a few things, or are they going full out? to just get over the line as, as comfortably and, and get the momentum for the World Cup um, in these upcoming fixtures. But Chile at home against Argentina will be tough. I think that's going to be really important. And then going to Bolivia um, will be a real challenge. Uh, Bolivia still with hopes of getting to the World Cup. Uh, obviously, Ben Berriton is in great form in the championship. has been an amazing story for Chile. And I think he does offer them something very different in attack as well. So uh, I do think that has really given Chile a bit of a focal point. You know, it's perhaps a bit surprising um, that this this guy coming out of the championship, who wasn't in great goal-scoring form until the Copa America, until he added the Diaz and became Chilean. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. But for me, I think 
if Uruguay can get their stuff together, I think Uruguay and, and Colombia probably have the more straightforward of fixtures in theory, aside from uh, obviously Colombia with that difficult trip to Argentina. So I, I think probably what I expect over the next four games is maybe Colombia and Uruguay to take advantage of those slightly easier fixtures. But if Chile want to stay in contention, they're going to have to get something from two very tricky games. They've obviously got a history against Argentina. We've seen in the Copa America some big games and they've been tight games. I think Argentina have got have kind of overcome a bit of a barren period in terms of bringing in some fresh guys to the squad, getting some good momentum, some good feeling in the side. Whereas I think Chile are kind of hanging on a little bit still. We've seen Chile can be very, very organised. They can make the most of what they have. They're a side that know each other well. They've got a few younger guys coming in. So Chile have the nous, uh, but I think the momentum of Argentina and then, you know, Chile will need all of that experience to go to Bolivia where Bolivia will play much more aggressively, confidently, with lots more energy, uh, given the altitude advantage. So it's going to be a, a very, very challenging two games, I'd say, for Chile. If they can get three points on this, I think they're still in contention, 100%. But I think it will be a bit of a challenge. They'll, they'll need all of that experience, all of that togetherness as a group to get something from these two games, I think. But if they do, then they're still in a decent position. Yeah, Simon there just mentioned something which we always talk about when you mention Bolivia in terms of their advantages at home. Um, we have to talk about perhaps them as the outsiders in terms of the World Cup qualifying period, just historically and, and when you look at the, the, the team sheets, I suppose. Um, but we are in a position where we're looking at Bolivia. We're always going to be talking about their home fixtures as possible wins. Um, I guess we, we can treat the underdogs in this process together. Uh, Tom, we look at Bolivia and Paraguay just because they have that distance to make up. Um, do you think either of those two sides could still spring a surprise and make a late dash for the qualification? Well, without wanting to completely just write off Paraguay straight away, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I just think there's too many bodies in, in the road between them and, and getting qualification. So, yeah, I, I don't see these fixtures being, you know, particularly great for them either. I, I, you could easily see them picking up no points and that's, that's job done, really. Um, Bolivia, on the other hand, interesting because, yes, the home advantage against anyone is, is always great. I do think Chile have... have often had a fairly decent record away in Bolivia compared to some of the uh, some of the other nations so i wouldn't necessarily be shocked if if they did snatch some points from bolivia there but you know if bolivia are on it and you know the other team isn't quite at it then then that's a great place to pick up points i think the the away tie in venezuela is going to be fascinating because they really, really have to pick up some points on the road if they're going to qualify here. Like they could win all their home games. Obviously, I think they've still got Brazil to play, so that's always going to be tricky. But you think that that is not beyond the realms of possibility. The big thing is, can yeah, can they beat Venezuela, bottom side in the in the qualifying? And then that would suddenly put a cat amongst the pigeons, and you'd think actually Bolivia might just do this here um, with Pinnacle. They're four point nine two to win, so not looking too likely from the from the bookies angle but yeah that is that is going to be a really really fascinating game and and if they can get something there then that just takes the chili game up to a whole extra level so yeah that that is going to be fascinating um and i i, I think sort of going back to chili ever, ever so slightly is 
I think they, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did get something from Argentina because no Messi, capacity, uh, maybe even more um, potentially important, no Cuti Romero. So that is going to be here. I mean, what do you think, Peter, for, for Argentina's chances and, and how they'll approach this uh, this round of fixtures? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting one because the pressure is, of course, off. They had that big celebration. They've booked their place at the World Cup. But they are currently in possession of the longest unbeaten run in, in world football, Algeria, having a difficult time with things at the African Cup of Nations. So Argentina will definitely want to keep that momentum going as long as possible. Um, and in the absence of Messi, it does present opportunities for a number of people in the squad who maybe haven't yet been able to impress the you know, Scaloni. I mean, one of the names that I think we've been talking about always in this situation, in the absence of Messi, Paolo Dybala. Um, he could get another opportunity, perhaps for Argentina, but there's a number of players that you look at in the squad who you'd hope would get to. <laughs> Emi <Emmy> Buendia. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Emi Buendia, one of those that's come into the squad as well. Um, so there's a lot of those type of players that are maybe on the fringes of the squad and with the World Cup coming up in, in less than a year, um, they're those are the kind of players that need to probably do a little bit of something in some of these games over the next eight months or so to push themselves into that squad. Even if they're not going to be in Scaloni's first 11 with everyone fit, there's competition now, real competition, just to be on that plane to go to the World Cup. So that's what's at stake for Argentina, if, even if the pressure of qualification is now off. So um, the games with Chile always had that little bit of extra spice as well since the Copa America uh, final defeats. Um, so they'll certainly be interesting games to watch. And, and as you've already both sort of painted there for Chile, they're huge, huge games in terms of their qualification. So I think it will be will be interesting games. They'll be very competitive games for those reasons that we laid out. But I think, yeah, it's, it's certainly a game which you look at in the absence of Messi, in the absence of Argentina needing points to qualify, that you could look at Chile um, as being pretty good value of picking up a win in those games. Um, just before we wrap up then with the World Cup qualifiers, uh, Simon, I just wanted to see if you wanted to agree with Tom in discounting Paraguay, because I think we're all in agreement with Venezuela. Paraguay, we should mention as well, also like Uruguay, did have a change of manager. Um, Guillermo Barasquilotto now, the Argentine coach in there at Paraguay. Um, again, are we looking at that just a little bit too late to make any changes in the hope that with four games they can turn things around? Yeah, I think the issue with Paraguay is um, they tend to be competitive in games, and it's but it's usually one goal here, one goal there, which is which is which can be good. But when they've got you know kind of points to make up, I think that's where they kind of kind of struggle. So I think they could get a few draws here and there. I think they'll be competitive in games. People won't enjoy playing Paraguay. I think they can be spoilers in this in this running, and they'll they'll take points off people. But I never feel with Paraguay that they're going to go and win three or four games in a row or, or you know, get the goals required to, to make up those points that they're missing. So I think Paraguay will be important. <laughs> it's not much of a consolation if I think they're going out, but they're going to be important in what happens in the next four rounds of games. I think they'll be a very tricky opponent. They, you know, obviously they defend well often with four centre-backs. They're, you know, they're very tough and they've got some players who are dangerous in the transition and, and they'll hurt teams. But I just can't see them 
getting three wins or, or two wins and two draws, which is at least what they're going to need to, to kind of make up that gap. So I, I like Paraguay. Paraguay are competitive. Paraguay are a decent team. But when they've got to catch up, I just can't see them being able to do that uh, over a consistent four-game period. So they'll be competitive. They'll get some, they might get a win here. They might get a few draws, but I just don't think they'll get the points to make up, uh, particularly when the likes of Uruguay and Colombia perhaps have slightly more uh, favourable games coming up. Yeah. So anyway, we have two rounds of fixtures in Commonwealth qualification before just the first few days of February. By that point, we may well have three teams guaranteed into the World Cup. If not, it's going to be very, very tight going into those final two rounds in March. Um, And we'll be back, of course, in February to go back over those results and, and look at where we are, where we really could be talking about the most dramatic of finishes in South American uh, World Cup qualification. One month ago, we were obviously talking as well about the Copa Libertadores final as Palmeiras lifted the trophy, well, won back-to-back titles. Um, now we're just a few weeks away from the first round of qualification for the 2022 edition. We had the draw um, not too long ago. We know all the teams that are going to be in it. Last year, we very much were talking about the Brazilian sides being dominant. That may well be the case again. Um, but Tom, we have the tournament starting up again. We've got three rounds, three fixtures, I should say, in the first round of the um, Copa Libertadores. Montevideo City Torque take on Barcelona, Deportivo Lara play Bolívar and Universidad César Vallejo, take on Olympia of Paraguay. Um, usually we're looking at those first round games and frankly, we're kind of looking at a lot of teams that you think probably aren't going to be doing a lot of damage once we get to the group stages. Um, but we'll start there just because that's what the games are coming up. Is there anything there that catches the eye for you from the qualifiers um, that you think, oh, there's a, there's a couple of teams there that maybe could cause some problems in the group stages? Yeah, I think actually for this first round, it's actually probably a slightly higher quality than than we're used to. I mean, we've got Montevideo City versus Barcelona. Barcelona obviously did great last time around. So, you know, even if you're one of the the best teams from the previous tournament, you can still find yourself in these these early qualifying rounds. And and that's they're clearly going to be the side that I think we're all looking at 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 least making a you know making it through to the second round of qualifying. And and you'd like to think that they should be once again in in the group stages. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do with that. You know, having to get through a few extra rounds, a few banana skins to to avoid there, and 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 also on the flip side, it can be a way of of getting a bit of momentum going early doors and um, and sort of hitting the group stage running when a lot of the other leagues aren't aren't up and running at the at the stage. And and I, I'm interested to see how um, Montevideo um, City do as well. Obviously, part of that City group, they've got a lot of interesting young uh, young players there. Um, Nicolas Siri, who, who they got from Danubio, um, obviously shot to fame when he scored a hat trick um, when he was just 16, 17. Um, so he's going to be an interesting player. They've got quite a few players who they've got off Nacional, some really talented youngsters like Orihuela, Cartagena, the Chilean um, Allende as well, is, is a really interesting player to watch. So then they're not going to be an easy side for Barcelona to get through. And, and I think that's definitely the clash of the round. 
I think apart from that, you, you're really looking at Olympia being a side that, um, you know, obviously got through to the knockout stages last uh, last year of the Libertadores. And also the fact that you've got Bolivar, who are, are you know, a seasoned uh, Libertadores team in there as well. So there's some big names, and especially when you look through at the second round as well, you know, you've got some big Colombian sides in there. You've got Fluminense, who did did well last year. You've got Estudiantes, the strongest, Universitario, Guarani, you know, all teams with a lot of pedigree. There's not, there's not as many, uh, shall we say, more random sides uh, in, in the qualifiers. So I think there's Especially when we get to that second knockout round, it's going to be it's going to be really really interesting, um, which I don't think you can always say about the, the early stages of the Libertadores. No, absolutely not. And you're right to point out when you look ahead to that second stage, there are some really interesting fixtures there. And, and considering teams are going to have to win those ties, then go through to a third round before you've reaching the, the group stages, um, is going to be very competitive. One of the teams that Tom just mentioned, there, Fluminense, uh, Simon take on Colombia's Millonarios as one of the big, big fixtures in that second stage of qualifying in the Copa Libertadores. Um, Millonarios are there as well as Atletico Nacional, two of the huge clubs from Colombia. Um, how do you assess their chances of being able to come through as we, we just laid out a very competitive qualifying process in the Copa Libertadores and making it to the group stages? Because of course, Colombian teams haven't exactly been faring particularly well on the continental stage in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm dreaming of a all Colombian third stage qualifying round. You know, we can dream, we can dream. Millonarios Nacional is a it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Uh, so for me, I think Atlético Nacional have strengthened better than Millonarios. Millonarios uh, lost Chicho Aranjo to LAFC, and he's been excellent up there in the US. Uh, they also sold Emerson Rodriguez, who was an impactful winger up to MLS into Miami. He's a good player as well, and. Uh, Fernando Oribe, the striker, has moved on to junior. So they've lost three important players over the last six months, which I think is going to impact upon them quite significantly. Uh, they brought in Diego Arazo as their number nine. He had a good good season overall last year um, in terms of goals. A bit of a focal point. He's a decent player, but I do think they're a little bit short in, as a, for a number nine. And I think they haven't quite replaced... Um, uh, Emerson Rodriguez uh, Daniel Ruiz has come in I think he's made his deal permanent he was on loan he was impressive so Vigilias are okay I think they're a little bit short uh, I think they maybe need one or two more to come in um, particularly maybe a, a, a second centre-back as well and they've signed Alvaro Montero who's obviously an excellent goalkeeper in goal we've seen him in the Liverpool with Tolima before giant Colombian international he's a very good goalkeeper so they've, they've done some good things I think maybe one or two more they're pinning a lot of hopes on Diego Arazo who's had a good year but hasn't been consistently that good in front of goal across his career. So he'll be important. Uh, Nacional. Nacional have basically signed Simon's all-time Nacional Dream Eleven. Alex Mejia's back in, 2016 captain. Giovanni Moreno back from China. The great Giovanni Moreno. Part Riquelme, part Peter Crouch. Giant, lanky, <laughs> beautiful man. He's a great player. He's really going to be one to watch. I don't know. Obviously, he's mid-30s now, but he's going to be interesting. Uh, Dolan Pavon as well, um, who, again, is scored some amazing Libertadores goals over the years. He's back in the Libertadores with Nacional. Again, mid-30s, they're bringing, they're bringing the band back together. <laughs> Felipe Aguilar back in defence as well. It's kind of the Nacional greatest hits of the last decade. So we'll see what happens. They've got a lot of quality. Andrade is still in there. They've got uh, 
Barrera, they've got really interesting sides. So Nacional are good. Avaro Angulo as well, a really good left back who's uh, come in as well. So I, I like Nacional's recruitment. We'll have to see if they've got a nine. Jefferson Duque is probably still the first choice number nine and he's um, you know, not always been as impactful in the Libertadores as he has in the league. Again, mid-30s as well. So Nacional have a lot of quality, whether they can get all of the pieces in the side. Basically, everyone's a number 10. This is what I do on Football Manager as well. You know, <laughs> this is the same mistake that the manager of Nacional's made by just signing seven number 10s. But, I, you know, I understand. I understand the temptation. So it's going to be interesting for Nacional. I think they're good. Mijanarios, a, a team with good quality, but I think they've got a few gaps. Um, and it will be interesting to see. But I'm still dreaming of that all Colombian third round qualifying tie. Oh, it could happen. It could happen. Fluminense, obviously, a decent side, but we shall see. I think I'm hoping for slightly better things from Colombian sides in the Libertadores, which again is starting from a very low level. So we'll have to see how things go this year. Um, well, if you are missing and have missed Copa Libertadores football, then that first round of the qualifiers starts on the 8th of February that week. And then the next week will be the second legs. The week after that, we start that second stage. Some very interesting ties. And that will be running through March. So on next episode of the podcast, no doubt we'll be looking back and ahead to some of those fixtures. Um, but after that qualifying process, of course, we get into it proper with the, the group stages. Um, so we have to talk about the lineup now. And, and we said last year of how dominant the Brazilian sides were. Palmeiras there as champions, Atletico Paranaense there as Sudamericana champions joined by Atletico Mineiro, Flamengo, some surprises there maybe, Fortaleza, Red Bull Bragantino, Fluminense, America Mineiro, both coming through the qualifiers, Corinthians are there as well. Um, Tom, are we looking again at that strong group of, large group of Brazilian clubs, potentially as well if Fluminense and America Mineiro get through? Um, again, are we looking there for the value in terms of potential winners of the 2022 Libertadores? Yeah, it's, it's hard to look past them with all the advantages they've got financially and, and everything there. So I don't, I don't think it's maybe quite as strong a core as we've seen in previous years. Yes, you've got Flamengo, Palmeiras and Atletico Mineiro, who I think are probably the three favourites along with River for, for the title at this stage. Obviously, a lot can change, but, you know... Obviously, we've got the Sudamericana finalists as well in there and Corinthians are a big name as well, but I, they don't fear, uh, fill me with as much fear as um, as maybe some of the teams in in previous editions. So perhaps um, it's, it's a chance for one of the other teams out there to do something special. Uh, but yeah, it's especially the fact that... Um, Ferreira is still at Palmeiras. I think that's going to, you know, make them odds on favourite again. Uh, Flamengo bring in Paulo Sousa, which obviously we know uh, the European manager is the is the key to success a, a lot of times in recent years. And I, and I really think that now that Mineiro have, have got the league title out of their um, out of their way, they can really put all their eggs in the bas- in their basket. And um, and I, I fancy them as as perhaps the team that can go that just a little bit further and, uh, and disrupt the other teams there. So definitely it's going to be st- uh, strong for the Brazilians. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Corinthians actually, which is not something I often find myself saying, but they've got like a, again, a bit like Atletico Nacional, they've got the greatest hits back. You've got Paulinho, Willian, Renato, Augusto, uh, Joe, 
Cassio, Luan, Giuliano, you think like, how are they going to fit all these guys into the same team? And, and I think they could be, they'll probably be a lot more workmanlike than, than we expect. But uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do um, in, in this tournament. But yeah, I think it's, it's Brazilians all the way, unless, unless there's anyone you think we can, we can see a challenge from, Peter? Well, I mean, I think you probably just mentioned the team that would probably look to it. And I think in most years, recent years, certainly when you look at either the Brazilian teams and then you look elsewhere in the continent, you're really looking at River Plate and Boca Juniors. And last year, both of them really underperformed in that tournament. Boca, of course, will look back to their exit in controversial fashion and say, well, we could have easily progressed through to the next round. Of course, they went out with those disallowed goals against um, Atletico Mineiro, who then dispatched of River in the next round. But we are seeing both of those clubs go through something of a rebuild when you look at the, the, the moves they're making in this transfer window because Argentinian league season starts up pretty soon and a lot of the Argentinian clubs are looking to do a lot of their business, you feel, at the start of the year rather than maybe mid-year. Um, so you're looking at a River Plate team that as we record, still have Julian Alvarez. We talked about him a lot in 2021. He's been linked with, it seems, every big club in Europe. The latest one seems to be Manchester City. And there's an offer on the table there. But it could see him stay at the club anyway until June. But even if he doesn't go, it seems as though River are somewhat arming themselves to have a real crack at the Libertadores this year. They've already brought in Thomas Pochettino back from Austin FC. Maybe didn't really light up Major League Soccer in the way that many thought he might do, but was brilliant in that spell with Teixeira's before that move. Looks like he could be a player that really thrives under Marcelo Gajardo, who likes those kind of midfield runners that come and join the attack. Juan Fernando Quintero, back at River, the big one. Um, Always a joy to see Quintero playing. And if he gets anywhere near that kind of level he was with River in the first spell, then it's just another huge, huge addition um, for River and then talk about them maybe having a deal in place for Ezekiel Barco to come in from Atlanta United now you can maybe question how on earth you fit all of those players into a, an 11 considering they've still got the likes of Julian Alvarez on the books Nicolas De La Cruz missed a lot of last season but will be coming back at some point from injury but on paper at least we're looking at a Riverside that are strengthening the squad in a huge way some really talented players and of course the big news that Marcelo Gajardo decided to stay on for another year presumably with that sole intention let's try and get one more Libertadores title before he finally takes the bigger challenge of trying to take that success to Europe um, so real team that you're looking at as the, the real team that could maybe put a span in the works of the Brazilian clubs but Boca Juniors as well I think are making some of the moves that we kind of pointed out they needed to make in 2021. The big one being another return, Dario Benedetto coming back from Marseille to Boca and filling a void really, which, which arguably has been there since he left the club. An absence of a really top quality centre forward who can score them the goals. I think youngster Luis Vasquez did a really good job in 2021 of, of stepping up in the absence of anyone else and providing that focal point. And I think he'll still be an important player for Bataglia and his squad. But having Benedetto there, again, if he's anywhere near the level he was in his last spell at Boca, does make Boca Juniors a real threat in this year's Copa Libertadores. So I think 
from an Argentinian perspective, those are the two teams once again that you look to um, as serious competition for the Brazilian clubs. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think it's um, when I was thinking of potential dark horses for the title, I thought, Boca, do Boca really ever count as a dark horse? Probably not. But Benedetto does just transform that team and uh, and provide some experience and some leadership for what is a very young side um, under Bataglia. I think it's a side that now you can get quite excited about, whereas before it just, you know, there, there wasn't too much firepower going forward but with some of these young players you know maybe we'll see some more of Ezequiel Zavajos lovely free kick the other day from him um, and all those young midfield talent um, you know maybe even we'll see the likes of, uh, of Barco Avila you know other young good players at the club there that could really give them a youthful impetus that that could see them um, make it make a dent in the tournament as, as for other Argentine, Argentinian sides, at least anyway, I, I'm maybe not too confident of anyone having a having a real big impact. I think Vélez and Tajeres will do well. I think it's going to be good to see Colón um, in there with, with uh, Pulga Rodríguez back at the club, teaming up with Facundo Farias, hopefully as well. So... That that would be a, a lovely a lovely combination a lovely story to see them together and, and make them quite a fun team to watch and one that maybe a few sides might underestimate a little bit there but yeah it's um it does feel like it's all on Boca and River this year to to challenge the Brazilians um but I don't know Simon do you, do you think there's there's a chance that I mean we've already discussed some of the Colombians there but but how about the the sides that have made it into the into the group stages already uh, it, there's some big names there and, and it feels like a, a strong batch from looking in from the outside but what's the, what's the mood like over there yeah I think um, in terms of Colombia's two group stage representatives there's Deportivo Cali and Tolima uh, they're two very different approaches I'd say the two teams um, Cali have Preciado, who's been in excellent form, was in the Colombian national team this week. They've got Teofilo Gutierrez, a familiar name, a high-quality player. For me, he's much more impactful in the league than he is in the Libertadores. I think he's lost a bit of pace, but obviously a player with a lot of quality. They've got Vasquez, they've got Angelo Rodriguez running the line. They've got a good attacking options. Um, I think it will be important for them to try to keep Andres Colorado. So he was on loan for two years, maybe three years, but his loan's finished at Cortaloa. Um, Cortaloa are hoping to sell him abroad, but if they can't, then Deportivo might get him back. Deportivo Cali might get him back, which would be a huge boost. Because so I think that defence midfield, they've lost a couple of players there, which I think is going to be important to, to remedy. And I also think at centre-back, they're getting a little bit old. Menose... I think maybe a, a fresh centre-back will be useful as well. But they've got a, a good, high-quality group. Usually with Deportivo Cali, we see all the youngsters, but they've got a lot of older guys. They're really going for having won the league. They're looking to kind of build upon that for the Libertadores. So I can't see this side continuing for years and years to come, uh, as often we see with youngsters in Deportivo Cali. But I think they've got a good, good quality side. So Lima are much more kind of about the identity and they have that. They've got they've got lots of pace out wide. I think Tolima's a side who aren't going to impose or control many games with their kind of quality. But they're a team that's, that's very dangerous, that's always well-drilled, that can particularly from wide areas hurt opposition sides. So I think 
My question with Tolima is they don't really have a number nine to bang in all the goals. They're not going to control and, and boss the midfield in the same way as some of the other sides. But I think it's a side that will take points. I can't see them necessarily progressing, but I think they'll get some wins here and there. I think Nacional and Millonarios are the two teams in the, in the qualifying rounds who I think will be very useful from a climbing perspective to have in the knockout rounds. Because, sorry, in the group stage because they have that quality. Uh, I think the same for Deportivo Cali, but I do worry about the centre-back at Luis Adore's level. I think they're short there for me. So two interesting sides, four decent Colombian teams. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, my, my expectations have been lowered. Also, before I throw back to, to you guys, I think Venezuela, while I don't fancy their qualifying round sides, um, I think in the group stage, they've got a couple of decent teams. So Monagas and Lara, I don't think are very good at all. But they've got Tachira and Caracas. Uh, Tachira have been signing every single half-decent Venezuelan in the league. They've been building on a good squad to have a really good squad by Venezuelan league standards. So I think they'll be competitive. And Caracas is a step above in terms of the consistency, the quality, their ability to retain players. Samson Akinola, if they don't sell him, I think this is going to be a huge tournament for him. A Nigerian slash Beninese striker who's scored at almost a goal and assist per 90 this year in the Venezuelan league. He got two goals in last year's Libertadores in the qualifying rounds. So I think he'll be a really interesting player um, to watch uh, in this year's group stage. Aside from those Venezuelan sides, Tom, there's obviously a lot of the, the usual customers in there, Peñarol and Nacional of Uruguay, Alianza Lima, Sporting Cristal in Peru, Cerro Porteño, Libertad um, from Paraguay, Independiente del Valle of Ecuador are there, Universidad Católica, again, champions in Chile. But from all of those teams and from anyone else, is there, is there anyone that you look at as again, a side that could maybe upset the apple cart in the Libertadores this year and maybe cause a shock to some of those Brazilian teams or River Plate and Boca? Yeah, I mean, you'd think that Independiente del Valle will have we've learnt from last year's experience and the fact they've got that title under their belt now in Ecuador, they're always going to be one of our favourites, I think, to, to make a dent because of the way they play, the young players they promote, the general way the club is run. So you've got to look at them as as an option. Ecuadorian sides in general have been doing well in Libertadores in recent years. So the Ecuadorians, I think I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Nacional and Peñarol, as you mentioned, I think a lot in terms of what Peñarol can do is going to depend on where they keep Torres and Canario Alvarez. If they can keep those two, then I think they've got a good chance of, of getting out of a group stage for you know the first time in 10 years. I think it'll be now. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to look at. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good solid core of Paraguayans who, again, traditionally you'd expect one or two of those to be making the, the knockout stages. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Catolica do, do well because they've been doing so well domestically and they've got some really exciting players, Nunez, Montes, Saavedra. They're all really good, good young Chilean players, that new generation that's starting to emerge. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see a bit more from them because it's been yeah, far too long that we've had any sort of serious Chilean um, competition in this tournament. So yeah, it's, it's hard to know at this stage because so much can change in the transfer window still, but um, there's, there's obviously always going to be some, some names outside of Argentina and Brazil who, who have a really good go and, and surprise us all. 
So we have that, of course, to look forward to very soon, the start of the Copa Libertadores, some weeks and months before we even get to the group stages, but Libertadores football is very much back. Um, and we also, of course, have the 2022 Copa Sudamericana coming back in March with the first round there, the first round which is without any of the Brazilian and Argentinian clubs. We see a lot of the national nations matching up with teams within each nation to go through to the group stage. Um, but we'll quickly mention some of the, the big teams there, Tom. Last year, we obviously saw um, Atletico Paranaense defeat Red Bull Bragantino in the final. Both of those two Brazilian sides are now in the Libertadores. Um, but that doesn't mean there's any absence of big Brazilian teams, historic teams in this year's um, Copa Sudamericana. So where are you looking at the in the Sudamericana for p- potential winners? Yeah, I think I think there's there's some big names in it already um, from from Brazil. Obviously, Santos are a name that immediately jumps out. Um, really good youngsters there as always. So they'll be a t- team to watch. Internacional, I was I thought would do better in the Libertadores last year, and and they've made some interesting reinforcements there. Um, going to be interesting to see how Medina does as coach as well. And Sao Paulo, another huge name. So straight away, you're going to be looking at those teams. But other than that, you know, there's, you've got, in, I think, quite a strong Argentinian group this time around with Defensa y Justicia proving that they're, you know, they were one of the best teams in Argentina in, in the last half of the year, or maybe last quarter of the year. Um, and, and they did well in the Libertadores as well until some of their best players were plucked away there. So I think they're always going to be a, a, the type of team that, does well. Independiente, obviously a huge name there and uh, maybe a chance for Alan Malasco to do something. Uh, Lanús, Racing, also big uh, teams there that I think would be well suited to doing well in this, in this tournament. So yeah, a strong group of Argentinians. And, and then outside of that, you've got Union La Calera from, um, from Chile, who, who were, I think, unlucky to be drawn in such a tough group in the Libertadores last year. And, and they're going to be a side who, who are interesting to watch um, there's also some strong uh, Colombian representation there as well with Junior America de Cali um, and LDU Quito from from Ecuador so I think you know they're probably the names that, that really jump out there but um, you obviously you always get that influx of teams from the Libertadores that keeps the, the quality really high but um, yeah it's it's always hard to predict at this stage but um Certainly, I think uh, it's it's one of those tournaments over the last few years that I've really grown to love more and more because it, it usually provides some really interesting storylines and some gives the platform some interesting teams to come through as, as we've seen in recent years. So, yeah, definitely one to watch. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that takes shape as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right to point out that it has been an interesting tournament to watch increasingly so in the last few years. And increasingly, it's been a number of the teams that have caught the eye have been those that have been doing very well off the pitch in terms of the players, the young players that have been promoting and it's, it's put them on very much an upward momentum for maybe the following year to go into the Copa Libertadores and do well. So it's a good tournament maybe to keep an eye out in terms of looking ahead to 2023. And I think there'll be a lot of teams in that lineup that will be hoping that's the case. Um, as you say though, until really you get through that first stage and the Copa Libertadores group stage when of course teams would be dropping down into it um, it's very difficult really to call 
who would be able to go on and win that one. But um, those first round ties in this year's Copa Sudamericana take place in the first legs in the week of the 8th, 9th and 10th of March. In the following week, you have the second legs there. So plenty of South American football coming up over the next few weeks. We'll, of course, keep doing the podcast month by month to keep you updated um, on those games and, and see how the tournament is progressing. But I think uh, that's more or less all we have this month, having covered all of that football. Um, unless, Tom, you have anything else you need to add? No, I think I think we've uh, got the year off to a good start there. It's always tricky at this time when leagues are only just starting to, to get underway and there's a lot of hope and, and a lot of enthusiasm and lots of transfers still to be done. So it's always a bit of a mugs game to be uh, to making big, bold statements just yet. But I think um, by this time next month, there's going to be uh, loads to, to catch up on and yeah, look, looking forward to that already. Yeah, absolutely. Plenty next month for us to look back on in terms of those World Cup games that we already outlined there. Um, And I'm sure by the end of the month as well, we could be looking back at some very significant transfers uh, that we'll recap then as well. Um, So uh, thanks as always, Tom, uh, for your insight this month. Cheers. Uh, Yeah, good to to get the ball rolling. And um, yeah, here's to a 2022 full of... uh, thrills and spills and and who knows maybe a, maybe an Argentina win at the World Cup fingers crossed well thanks to you both thank you very much as well for listening we'll be back next month going back over all of those results looking ahead to what could be a huge last round in South American uh, World Cup qualification as well um, of course you can find all the latest odds and betting insight on Pinnacle.com plus plenty of content on the Twitter at Pinnacle and the Instagram Pinnacle.betting with plenty other sports coming your way please gamble responsibly odds mentioned during this episode were correct at time of course so be sure to go and check the latest on Pinnacle.com we'll be back next month with more South American soccer insights